0: Welcome to the STI podcast. I'm Professor Cathy Ison. I'm the Director of the Sexually Transmitted Bacteria Reference Laboratory at the Health Protection Agency. And my colleague here today is Dr. David Barlow, who is Consultant Physician at the Department of General Urinary Medicine at Guy's and Thomas's. And so today we're going to talk about gonorrhea in the future, and I'd like to start by asking David About who we should test. David, as you may know, um, I've been under a lot of pressure at the HPA to recommend that we should widespread screen um, everybody for gonorrhea, whether they are symptomatic or asymptomatic, or whether they're attending a GU clinic or not. How do you feel about this?
1: Uh, Well, I think that's silly. (laughs) Um, If gonorrhea were evenly distributed in the general population, then Um, and furthermore, it was common enough, the prevalence was high enough, then it would be reasonable to test everybody. But as we know full well, um, it is not evenly distributed, rather like HIV. It does not uh, affect each section of the population equally. Um, Who should we test? Well, uh, you can define those who are more likely to be positive than others, and it's as true for gonorrhea as I suppose it is for other sexually transmitted infections. Um, The younger ones... And it tends to be younger girls and slightly older males um, who are more likely to have the infection. But going and screening sixty year old um, men or women for gonorrhea would be a waste of money.
0: Yes, I agree that would be a waste of money, um, and um, I personally probably agree with you. but the evidence base for whether you screen or not screen is really absent. so Although you could say that there um, is no evidence that we should screen 60-year-olds, there isn't also no evidence that we shouldn't screen them.
1: Well, um, the difficulty is we don't have prevalence data for gonorrhoea. Mm. We have incidence data, but we don't have prevalence data. Now, there was a big study done in South London, um, combined guys, Kings and Thomases, um, published in the British Medical Journal in nineteen 19- 1998 or thereabouts, uh, where we got incidents broken down by um, area of residence, but also by age and gender. And um, it is possible, and you wouldn't maybe like me saying this, to convert incidents to prevalence by doing a little very simple um, computation. If you uh, work out, if you have an idea of how long people are likely to be infected so we have actually hard data on this, which we've published on um, the infectious period of gonorrhea in men, which um, has a median, I think, of uh, eight or nine days. Obviously, there's a range, and it's it's a skewed curve. But you, you can get an idea. If you once said, for instance, that the average person, male with gonorrhea, will have his infection for two weeks, then you can work, if you know what the incidence is, how many cases per year, you can work out, in fact, how many people are likely to have gonorrhea at a given time. Um, and... Uh, we're using those data, admittedly they're out of date now, but we could generate the same sort of data, we can say that um, the number of the incidence of gonorrhea in over 55-year-old women in South London is 4 per 100,000. The prevalence, <laughs> and if you give women a longer infectious period of, say, um, a couple of months, which is very generous, that's going to still make it um, less than 1 per 100,000 prevalence. Now, you spend a lot of money screening that, um, population and will um, waste a lot of money, I think.
0: Um, yes, I can't help but agree with you, but I think most of us would agree that young people are the people that should be targeted. Um, and so one of the uh, directions of testing or screening that, that has uh, occurred over recent years and I think is in, going to increase is, is testing um, within screening programmes such as the Chlamydia screening programme. Um, and whether that actually should include gonorrhoea or whether it shouldn't. Um, now, the group that we put together to look at the evidence for that showed that there is actually no evidence base for that. doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, but it means there's no evidence base. Um, and it's actually, of course, been driven by the commercial tests, which test for both anyway. So do you have any um, thoughts on that?
1: Well, yes, I, I think uh, I, there... I think we do have good data on the incidence and and some data on prevalence of chlamydial infection in in different age groups. Uh, What we can say is that chlamydia is measurably more common than gonorrhea Mm. in these. uh, um, And we get back to the age old bit that is where all the medical students switch off, and I think all the qualified doctors tend to switch off as well, when you start talking about the importance of prevalence on um, the significance of your testing. Uh, 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 program, if you test uh, a population that has a very low prevalence of disease, um, then, assuming that you're going to get any false positives, then that number of false positives is going to, as a percentage of those tested, is going to be much higher, mm. and um, this has real, um, this this has real, carries with uh, it real problems. Um, I got interested in this uh, some five or six years ago when I was having a succession of ladies attending my clinic who really, you wouldn't have picked out as likely um, gonorrhea people. Now, I had to accept, and I've had to learn over the years that almost anybody can catch gonorrhea. But when you have uh, 55-year-old women uh, coming in, having been tested uh, for gonorrhea along with their chlamydia screening when they simply went in for a cervical smear test, when there is no indication they should have gonorrhea, their partner hasn't got gonorrhea, um, and yet they've been told by the practice nurse that they've got to be treated for gonorrhea and go to the, the, the local GEO clinic. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are serious downsides to universal testing like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think we, we should be screening people, and um, the question of whether we screen those who go into uh, an STD clinic, for instance, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if... You and I would agree, and we probably would agree about that.
0: I think we would agree about um, STD clinics because you'd, I presume that you're talking about women who attended um, your STD clinic, presumably for care. Um, and I think there are issues around prevalence. Um, in that population, but there are, I think, even bigger issues around prevalence in people who are not attending for STD care, who haven't taken themselves to an STD clinic or a GUM clinic, um, because we have very little evidence um, of what the prevalence is out there, and we have even less evidence about the geographical variation, which I think most of us believe, believe occurs with gonorrhea that doesn't occur so markedly
1: with chlamydia. No, I think that's right. Um, I've always had a a, a firmish conviction that uh, cases of gonorrhea aren't just going to hang around in the community and not be discovered. Um, If there is a service available, which there is, and it's uh, the evidence, such as I've, I've seen, is that it is accessed by most everybody who needs to uh, access it, um, then cases of gonorrhea will rise to the surface. They will, they will appear. And um, the thought of there being a great population of people with gonorrhea who simply aren't either getting symptoms or not or ignoring their symptoms and are sitting out there in the community, I just don't believe that. I think mm-hmm. that under certain circumstances people will have their gonorrhea for longer before they get treated um, but I don't think there's a large untapped. I mean, at any given point, there will be a number of people who've got gonorrhea who don't know they've got gonorrhea. They're in that during their infectious period, their incubation period. Um, but they will, as I say, rise to the surface, if that's the, the yeah. metaphor that I should use.
0: Yeah, it's, and I think a lot of us have believed that over a lot of years. But there is some evidence, albeit... Um, relatively limited, um, that the new nucleic acid amplification tests have found gonorrhea in populations who are not attending STD clinics. Um, and this is being used as a, as a reason for using more widespread screening. And I think that it brings us to the issue, um, really, of how you test uh, for gonorrhoea, and I think when we test used culture, um, we never access those those populations outside clinics because culture isn't tolerant enough, and it's much more difficult to do if you're doing it in places sure. um, yes. out, you know, sort of community settings or primary care settings, whatever you want to call them. But Nats gives us that new. Um, ability to, to screen these
1: populations. Yes, if, we, if you're going to use a screening test out with the hospital setting or the specialist clinic setting, then um, some nucleic acid amplification test is what you're going to have to use. Um, idea that there is a large untapped uh, pool of infected people which only the nats are picking up. I just, I mean I'm sorry, but I just I find this really hard to credit. If a gnat can pick up, which I think it might well do, pick up infection earlier than culture, you'll need fewer viable organisms for the test to become positive. That's fair enough. But people talk as if there's one concept of asymptomatic gonorrhea. You've either got symptomatic gonorrhea or you've got asymptomatic gonorrhea. Well, I've divided it into a a rather more... Well, it's more complicated. It might be more sophisticated. There's the pre-symptomatic stage when somebody simply has, has not had time yet to develop enough organisms to develop symptoms. Um, there's the post-symptomatic phase and again we as clinicians are, uh, come across somebody who said, oh well yes I did have a discharge some three months ago but it's gone and certainly in the old literature we read about the the, the symptoms going away. Um, there's the genuinely asymptomatic which is, to me is a philosophical concept. This is somebody who hasn't developed symptoms yet and Were one not to treat them, they still wouldn't um, develop uh, symptoms. So, um, which of those is the NAT picking up? Well, then, logic says that it should be picking up the the symptomatic Now, we we have good data on 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 the incubation period of gonorrhoea, and it's um, the median incubation period. I think is about um, is about uh, five and a half days. The median is. um, Let's get this right. Um, I think the the mean is. Five and a half, and the median is, is eight. I think that's what that's what, what days. So sure, you can have somebody who doesn't develop the symptoms for f- three weeks. We've, we've seen such cases. But um, the idea that there's a whole pile of people whom the nats are picking up who've got gonorrhoea and who aren't developing symptoms, I doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. um, ring true to me.
0: Well, I think this is an area where we're obviously going to need to do more studies. And I think then that's give us the opportunity to do that. Um, and I know that many people feel that I've changed my mind and have been... Uh, a total supporter of culture, um, working in a large London clinic for most of my career, um, and that I've been reluctant to move over to Nats. Um, I think this is a slightly um, wrong impression. My concern has always been that the evidence base for using Nats um, needed to be there before we moved ourselves um, uh, totally over to Nats. Um, And of course, the, the reason for maintaining culture also involves antibiotic resistance, which we can come back to. Um, But I think even uh, now, even I, um, have to admit that um, there is an evidence base that shows that particularly for the rectum, um, that culture is insensitive. Now, we probably already knew that. But I think now we have the data. And I think the concern that Nats might be cross-reactive can be tempered by using confirmation and the evolution of the better tests. And of course then it rains is the whole issue of the pharynx, which I think the data is accumulating for that as well. No
1: I agree with you. I think the data are strong for both rectum and, and, and for the throat. And like you, I've seem to have spent the last five years lecturing around the world on gnats versus culture. But, um, no, there is a place for that. I'm not bothered about the sensitivity of, of, the, of the nucleic acid uh, amplification tests. I think they have got an important role to play in extra genital sites. I'm bothered about the specificity, and that's, that is that is the difficulty. I'm bothered about the false positives. Um, if you're dealing with a, uh, a highly and regularly infected population, say, a uh, uh, um, uh, gay men in San Francisco or in parts of London who are catching infections on a regular basis—I see them in my clinic on a daily basis—then, in a sense, the the odd false positive isn't too isn't too worrisome. I mean, every bad result is bad; is 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 is, is something much to try to avoid. But where you've got it into a situation where a woman or a man is being screened. Um, Willy nilly, because they happen to be screened for chlamydia, because there happens to be a a national program for screening for chlamydia, and they suddenly are presented with a positive gonorrhoea test. Unless they've got a good clinic set up, who understand um, and pathologists who um, realise the importance of confirmation, um, then we run into practical problems, and I have run into them myself.
0: Yeah, Uh, and I I would I would agree with that, and I think. it's important that clinicians understand the discussion we've had around prevalence um, and the limitations of the NATs. And I think the NATs have improved enormously and I think um, it may be that in the future confirmation won't be as necessary, but I think in this extra genital sites, at this point, the only way to prevent these distressing misdiagnoses is to do a secondary test. But of course... um, I am a a great advocate um, as the leader of or the lead of the National Surveillance Programme to maintain culture um, because we believe um, that the gonococcus is being, um, um, what shall I say, particularly versatile again and is becoming resistant um, to our latest uh, therapeutic agents. And, you know, we face the real possibility of gonorrhea being untreatable in... Five years' time, it could be less. If it picks up um, an extended uh, spectrum beta lactamase from somewhere, it could be less.
1: Regarding what we're going to do, um, I was recently presented with a problem, uh, penicillin allergy um, and what we're going to use um, to treat. And I went back to treatments back in the 1970s. And um, uh, one of the things that uh, seems to happen, and I've seen it, funnily enough, in, in Sri Lanka where they stopped using um, penicillin because of uh, increasing uh, resistance to it. And after about six years, the penicillin sensitivity of the the, the local strains had come back to uh, more or less normal. I think maybe one was more more sensible about rotating the antibiotics.
0: I mean, I still think that we... we, um need to alert people to the possibility and people need to be aware. But we have to stress that at the moment, gonorrhea is still treatable. And if we're sensible with what we do, and if we're vigilant, um, looking for treatment failures, um, that we should, you know, be able to maintain these drugs for as long as possible.
1: I'm bothered about, for instance, um, and I know there's been a lot of discussion in, in gonorrhea, um, discussion groups about um, the use of cafixime in its current dose, and it, it worries me that we're, we're getting blood levels that are probably only not only just high enough, and whether we shouldn't be giving a larger dose. What, I
0: We've done some work recently um, to show that that we are at the limit at the moment using the current dosages, and that we do need to look at either the increasing the dose or increasing the number of doses, which I know is something that um, GUM physicians prefer not to do. And I know all the, we all know the reasons for that. Um, but I know it, it's also a difficult time and we're going to have to um, approach some of these things and decide how we're going to go forward.